They made her change her name. The same kanji she had used since she first picked up a pencil to mark on paper, Sayaka. The fortune teller said it was bad luck for the characters of his surname to mix with hers. What's in a name? They had taught her in Shakespeare class. She was becoming his wife after all. When she was stamping the document to change it, she paused. It will still read the same. The man at the desk had laughed. Just the kanji is different. Somewhere inside tectonic plates were shifting, distant rumblings threatening to erupt, calling her Sayaka, written the way it was supposed to be, the way it had been since she was born. Sayaka by Tamiko Dooley in the Broadkill Review. Welcome to Delmarva today. I'm your host, Harold Wilson. We're talking about the literary journal, the Broadkill Review, this morning. My guests are Scott Whitaker, fiction editor and managing editor of the Review, Carrie Ann Ebert, poetry editor, and poet Liz Holland. Liz Holland has published in Marias at Sampaguitas in the Kraken's Spire. She has also published in Remington Review and the Little Patuxet Review. Scott, Carrie Ann, and Liz, welcome to Delmarva today. Thank you so much for having us. We're excited to be here. Thank you, Hal. Appreciate it. Yes, indeed. Thanks for having me as well. Well, thanks to all of you and, and welcome again. I really appreciate your joining me uh, this morning to talk about the Broadkill Review. Scott, let me begin with you. What is the Broadkill Review? We are a tiny little literary magazine that grew out of the ecology that was the John Milton Poetry Festival many years ago uh, in Delaware, founded by Jamie Brown, and that included lots of people, uh, including H.A. Maxson, um, Linda Blasky is key in all of this as well. And so the Broadkill Review kind of started off as a PDF literary journal and was a PDF literary journal that you would subscribe to and get in your email box and read on your tablet or Kindle or what have you, or your computer. Um, we did that for about 13 or 14 years. We took a hiatus when the founding editor had some health issues, Jamie Brown, he kind of retired. He's kind of in the, the shadows, so to speak, as the editor. Uh, and it's really Carrie and myself really kind of shaping it now. And we are kind of this tiny little literary oasis, so to speak. I don't know if it's literary oasis is quite appropriate. There are some other good literary journals, you know, located around the, uh, the Delmarva Peninsula. The Shore is one of them that I'm thinking of. But we are just a, a kind of a little literary collective. We are 
associated this year with the Dogfish Head Poetry Prize. We are not always associated with the Dogfish Head Poetry Prize, though we are often involved in shouting out guidelines and telling people where to go to get guidelines and kind of being a, a promoter at times of it. But this year we're publishing it, where that would be Jamie is publishing it. Broadkill Review was the imprint of the Broadkill River Press, which Jamie still publishes chapbooks and poetry manuscripts in kind of a small indie press um, that he created and still operates. And so this year he's publishing the award-winning chapbook. This year our judge is Hayden Saunier, um, an excellent poet outside of Philadelphia or located near Philadelphia. So we're very excited about it this year. And Linda Blasky is really the progenitor and the, really the driving force behind the contest. And sometimes, of course, she, she used to be the poetry editor. So for a long time, the review and the contest were closely associated just because Linda did both. But they were not always one and the same. But it's kind of a strange little relationship that's kind of evolved over the years. Well, are you primarily an Eastern Shore uh, publication or do you reach beyond uh, the, uh, the Eastern Shore? Oh, we, we, we got international. We, we have several international folks that we have published over the years. We have a great relationship with a group of artists and writers out of Australia. We get a fair amount of Irish writers that are always in, in poets from India and writers from India. It seems to be a huge voice, an untapped market, so to speak. I've seen a lot more submissions from uh, international writers than we used to, which is super nice. But you know, we publish everybody. We publish emerging authors. We publish undergrads in their SU program. We publish you know, incarcerated writers on occasion. And we publish also you know, people who are nominated for the Pulitzer Prize. And we publish people who won Guggenheims. And we publish people who are National Book Award winners. And we have, you know, people who publish regularly in the big publications. So we kind of get to do a little bit of everything because we're small and because we kind of keep it simple as, as much as we possibly can. Because it's really done through a group of volunteers. Well, in general, how do people uh, submit? How in the world does somebody from Australia find you and, and decide to uh, submit uh, to... Uh, the Broadkill Review, because I've noticed we're going to talk primarily about poetry, but sure. um, I noticed you uh, you publish an, uh, a broad range of uh, of material from um, uh, from uh, fiction, uh, as we said, and we know poetry, and um, you publish interviews you publish oh, flash yes, yes. fiction you and the, and the list goes on how do uh, how do people submit to uh, the broadkill well, review sure we're we're located at, on the web at broadkillreview.com we probably should be a broadkillreview.org or something like that but I, I haven't figured out how to make that happen so we're broadkillreview.com and we have our submission guidelines on the website. At the top of our website currently is the Dogfish Head Poetry Guidelines, and you can find out more about how to submit to that excellent contest. It's free. You get beer. You get some cash. The winner gets a couple of nights stay at the, the inn while they're reading. It's a really nice 
package and you don't have to pay any submission fees to enter it, though it is quite competitive. And you can find out all about that at broadkillreview.com. You can also get submission information. And we do publish a little bit of everything. Um, I'll let Carrie talk about interviews and the poetry when, you know, uh, a little bit, but we also do plays on occasion. I will publish a 10 minute play or a short one act. I'm a drama instructor and kind of do a lot with the local regional theater scene. So I love seeing plays. I like absurdist stuff. I have a really broad taste. We also do creative nonfiction, which is a hot market driven kind of lyrical prose kind of half essay, half reflection, maybe a lot of statistic, depending on what, what we're talking about. Creative nonfiction is very interesting. And then we get fiction of all kinds. I I'm, I'm, lately have been really impressed with some of the fiction that's come through. It's been, it's been nice. It's been nice. Well, what kind of fiction do you have coming through that, uh, that is impressing you, Scott? Well, it's, uh, perhaps it's just me. <laughs> Largely, it probably is just me. You know, I am noticing um, that the stories that we're getting seem to resonate loudly with what's happening in the world. And I'm not talking about stories that are being, say, socially progressive or beating you over the head with a message or being even, you know, biblical or whatever, but they seem to resonate with these broader intersections between people and conflicts. It's not necessarily political, but it's certainly charged by contemporary events. We've had several pieces that have come through that really kind of go into the immigration aspect that is gives you just a, a different feeling. Uh, there's a, a writer in this current issue, Paul Garcia, who's got a fascinating story about a, a, an interpreter, uh, a lawyer who's in that system. And it's kind of an interesting eagle-eyed view on what's happening down at the border states. We also, I also got this, there's a great story in this issue from Michael Chin that's all about crazy wrestling, the wrestling world. And so if you're kind of into a little more zany, maybe not zany, but it's certainly edgier contemporary fiction, we also host that as well. Are you getting anything um, or very much on the pandemic? There's a great piece now that you mention it. Uh, Alexandra Peary, the Poet Laureate of New Hampshire sent us a piece that is, that is really, really fun and fascinating to read. And particularly if you like academic nerdy literature stuff. And it is a kind of a, a look at the pandemic through the view of uh, history. And it's, it's, it's a wonderful piece. I urge you to check that out. That's pretty, pretty terrific. It's a great example of creative nonfiction. Scott, let in me terms ask, of the lyricism and the research, et cetera. Let me ask you a broader question. Sure, sure. What kind of fiction are you looking for? When, when a piece comes in, what do, what do you want it to do if it's going to make it in the Broadkill Review? What are you looking for? Well, before, uh, in the older models we had, we wanted growth in characters. And I, we've kind of not necessarily abandoned that model. We, we like to see character growth. Character growth takes lots of time in a story. And we are kind of scaling down the length of fiction 
So we, we don't do 7,000 word stories anymore. We used to, we used to, we used to be one of the few places that would publish really long pieces. We're kind of backing down from that and we're going with shorter pieces these days. So we're looking for something anywhere between 3,500 and 5,000 words. That's always key in terms of readability and reader attention. That's, that's important. That's the way the market is going. I'm personally looking for beautiful language. I want to be wowed lyrically. I'm a poet at heart. So if it's written, you know, in a beautiful way, you're going to capture my attention. In terms of plot or content, I'm open to just about anything. I don't mind the bizarre micro genres of fiction, say weird slipstream, where we've got some queer slipstream that is coming out in the future issue that's really interesting, which is a micro genre of speculative fiction, which is kind of just a, a broad term for saying anything goes. It's a little bit of magical realism, a little bit of horror, a little bit of this or that or the other. But I also like great dialogue. And that's the, the drama person in me. So if you've got great dialogue and you can write beautifully and you, you will get my attention and hopefully we can host you and publish you in the Broadkill Review. Well, all, all good fiction um, has a base of poetry in it, uh, the lyric, the, um, the, the sense of rhythm and uh, the drama that, uh, that yes. poetry brings. Carrie Ann, we're going to hear uh, Liz Holland read her poetry uh, in a moment, but first I'd like to ask you what the primary elements uh, are that you look for in um, the poetry that's submitted to uh, the Broadkill Review? Well, how I think that um, as far as elements go, I'm sort of more of a whole uh, poem person. I want to look at the poem as a whole. Um, I, wanna, I want something that draws me in different way. I really enjoy that when, um, when I'm surprised by the language. Also, is the imagery surprising and, and arresting for, for me? Um, I love poems that take really wide uh, associative leaps. I like to think, oh my gosh, why didn't I think that? Why didn't I think of those, those two elements connecting in the world? But I also love when a poem takes one specific thing and burrows really deep down and it makes me hold my breath like when I'm being submerged. So there's a lot of, <laughs> a lot of different ways to um, grab my attention. And I think that's the, the main crux of it really is to, to use beautiful language to surprise me. There's nothing new under the sun, but there's certainly new ways to approach it. Well, I opened uh, with the poem uh, Sayaka, and, and that poem really captured me when, when I read it. But I, I will confess that I had to look up uh, Kanji, which is the base for the whole poem, and, and find out what, uh, what that term uh, meant. And... Uh, can you tell us what kanji is and why uh, that is important to uh, Sayaka's name in, in this poem that I opened with? Sure. Um, so kanji is um, Chinese characters used in Japanese writing. 
um, so they're characters and they're like a visual representation of the word. So this person, Sayaka, the speaker, her name is a visual representation. It is her essence. And, you know, like all of us, it's uh, a really universal thing to learn how to write your name when you're very little. And that for Sayaka was um, how she sees herself. And then when she gets married uh, with the uh, mixture of the two of her husband's surname and hers, um, she, she finally, through the end of the poem, feels this sort of rupture and splitting because even though her name is said the same way, that image that is holding her essence is not really herself. So she feels that, that rupture. Well, I don't know how I would feel if I had to write uh, my name with the Greek alphabet. It, it would be, uh, it would be a, little, uh, a little strange. And I would wonder if it was really my name anymore. Well, let me turn to you, Liz. Uh, I was quite taken with your poetry uh, as well. Your, your, uh, your poems selected for the Broadkill uh, Review. You have a poem called My Body is a Flawless Ceremony. Would, would uh, Liz, would you read that poem for us, please? Sure thing. Um, I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me, Hal. Uh, this is a great experience. And I'm really appreciative of the Broadkill Review for choosing my work. So this, this made my week. My body is a flawless ceremony. I walked down the church aisle, second in line, seven years old, pristine white veil, shouting of my temporary innocence. The candle sat tall and thin in my hands, white to match my dress, my shoes, the doily keeping the dripping wax from my dirt-smudged fingers. I tipped it forward just so. I am a good girl. I knew because the man in the dress told me through the gold-plated filigree, I confessed sin. I wondered what would make me bad. My older sister said she always came out a good girl. Her reddened knees told of a lengthy penance. Slowly walking up towards the altar, behind another little girl, I smiled at the priest aching to touch my flame to the veil in front of me. Liz, what are you doing yes. uh, to us with this poem? What are, what are you making with this poem? You know, I'm always tickled when I think about the little me, the younger me that in my most recent work, I'm really trying to honor uh, by taking an adult look at her innocence and how she didn't know how wild she was and really just wanted to tear away from all of the structure. Uh, so this is a nice capture of one of the events that I did experience in an organized religion that where I felt squirrely on the inside, like maybe this isn't right for me. Um, and it was, it's really nice to revisit her. She's a, she's a cutie. <laughs> well, she wants to set the veil in front of her on fire. Where, tell us, uh, tell us where that comes from in your experience. That's a literal Thing. I was second in line and thought, what if I just 
tripped a little or <laughs> just tipped it. I, my curiosity was quite, it was wild as well. And I knew the little girl in front of me and we were pals. And I, I just thought it would be funny. Well, it didn't think it, about um, the reality. I was, I was seven. So. <laughs> right. The second poem that I would like to, to ask you to read is uh, very, very different in, in, in a sense. Eden on fire. Uh, would you would you read that for us and then uh, and then comment on it if you don't mind? Sure. Eden on fire. God said, "I am," and I felt nothing. That God assigned male pronouns is weak. I never liked him. What deity demands trust while commanding fear? Control like an orchard lush with ripe persimmons, not meant to eat. Sprawling hedges just high enough to block any view. Eve always knew. Her God said, I am, and her cheeks flushed red. Don't fear, delicious, golden apple skin reflects the banks of Tenerife beyond the tall branches. Look that chatty snake. There's no courage without a bite of rage. Speeding barefoot, fully naked, wild hair and a mouthful of pulp, she leaves unsinged. She leaves unsinged. Where does she leave from? Well, this actually is not unlike the My Body is a Flawless Ceremony. It's really an imaginative story of abandoning everything that's expected and choosing the author's self above all else and running fast from what is not authentically her. So this is the seven-year-old resonates with the adult <laughs> quite nicely. <laughs> so she's, uh, she's running from a place that is trying to make her something other than uh, who she feels she is. Am, am I, uh, am I responding correctly to uh, what I feel in that poem? Yes. And it's delightful to hear that it's, it's creating that that thoughtfulness in you and that's exactly what the what I was intending to do it's really just a an empowering place to move from something that's um uh, building a cage or trying to put a, a you know a round peg in a square hole uh or opposite um and really just moving away from that into fully oneself even if it means abandoning something really beautiful or safe well Carrie you chose this poem for the for the broad kill review. As you can see, I'm taken with this with this poem. Um, you chose this poem for the broad kill review. What did you see in it uh, when it came across your uh, your desk or your computer? Well, how I actually chose my body as a flawless ceremony. That's that's the one that I chose, and I think um, I see the same things. Um, in both of them. And really, it's the, um, the tension and the surprise at the end, you know, and it, it hits such a universal chord in us. You know, we don't want to be boxed in, we don't, we don't need to be um, pressed down and uh, just made to do something. And that uh, our when ourself rises up, you know, uh, there are 
many different ways to express it. So I think um, in my body as a flawless ceremony, um, this little girl just starts having these thoughts and um, I can totally relate relate to that. When I was little, I used to look at the car handle while my mom was driving and I so wanted to just pull it and open it and see what would happen, you know? So, um, so I think it just really struck a, a chord in me. Um, and that's what I just love. I love both of the poems. <laughs> so, um, Carrie, are you hearing this poem for the first time? Yes, I am. Mm -hmm. Well, yes. Scott, let me, let me turn to you yes. um, for a moment. You, you were, uh, you were visibly, uh, reacting sure. to, uh, to this poem, um, Eden on Fire. What were you hearing in this poem that made you so uh, uh, actually demonstrative? Sure. Uh, in my body is a flawless ceremony. The poem is structured more or less in iambic lines in, in very more or less rigidly. There's a few variations, but it's a, it's a very strict structure, creating this box, creating this world in which the little girl is like, yeah, I don't know if I want to go into that little world. Now in this other poem, Eden, the lines are, are, are broken in a different way. We have a different kind of prosody at work. There's a lot more, the, the poem breaks free in a way that the other poem does not. Now the other poem, not breaking free certainly serves its purpose. And in with Eden, we, you get a lot more of the, the breaking away. Plus, you have a lot of really strong language that's creating these nice little beats. You know, that God assigned male pronouns is weak, you know, and then the following by the, the hard T of the trust and then control. And then you back that up with lush and you get all these wonderful sounds that kind of hits you when it's being read that has an emotional force lots of times the sounds words make regardless of their meaning can carry a lot of emotional power for a poem and you have certainly a lot of that in here you know that chatty snake that's just a pretty gay little line you know it can be a little bumper, sti bumper sticker you know um there's no that, that without will, a bite of rage that will probably come out a bleep on, uh, on oh sure on, right on, right. on yeah. Friday, uh, but I don't know. I think your listeners can probably handle it. They're mature folks. Well, I think they can. Uh, I think they can as well. Let me move back, Scott, to the Dogfish Head uh, Poetry sure. Prize again. Uh, tell me uh, once more about the prize. Remind our uh, our audience. Uh, how they submit, how they find it to submit, and how much time is left for them, because I understand the, um, the submission period is coming to a close fairly soon. Yes, you poets, you have until August 15th, and this is the 19th annual uh, poetry prize, so we're approaching 20 years. And that is kind of cool. Well, it is cool. It's not kind of cool. It's just cool. Now, you do have to be a writer from Delaware, Maryland. Maine is new this year. Uh, North Carolina, New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, Virginia, West Virginia, and the District of Columbia 
uh, and it will you will get a $500 prize if you win. You will get two cases of Dogfish Hair Craft beer, uh, a manuscript published by the Broadkill River Press, 10 copies of the book instead of your loyalties, but you don't have to pay anything, which is a huge burden off of your pocketbook. We must receive your manuscript by August 15th. Um, you have to be 21 years of age because of the beer. You're going to submit a Word document as an attachment. Don't put it in the email. That's surprisingly very difficult to extract. And you want to send that to Linda Blasky. And she's got a special email address at dogfishheadpoetryprize at earthlink.net. Now, you can find this information at the top of broadkillreview.com. And it's a chat book that you send in, not, not just um, a few poems. Right. We are submitting manuscripts to this contest, somewhere between 48 and 78 pages of original work. We are not currently seeking translations. Um, a poem maybe more than a page, so it can spill out over multiple pages. And you can only submit once, one entry. No more, no two. I know some of you out there got like five books and you're waiting for a contest. You can't submit all five, just choose one and send it on in. You also get some... Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, you can just stay at a hotel where the inn, the Dogfish Inn in Lewis, Delaware, will host you for a couple of nights, which is also part of the prize. Though I need COVID part of it too. While you do your reading and get your prize, you also get to stay for free. Scott, Carrie Ann, and Liz, thank you very much for joining me on Delmarva today. And Thanks to all of you for listening. This is Delmarva Today. I'm your host, Harold Wilson.